you know, the way I see it, as soon as all the abuse happened to all of us, we all lost. We lost one way or another. So I ended up going into a different family. Yet, in some ways, my brothers are angry at me in an indirect way because they feel I got the golden ticket as soon as I was adopted out into a good foundation family. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and today you're going to hear the story of Benson, or Ben, from Fannystell, Manitoba, Canada. Ben's home life in his biological family was abusive at the hand of his stepdad, so he was removed for his safety. He was nursed back to health in foster care and placed in a new family at seven years old. Ben admits he was an angry teen and he took on negativity in his life to cope, but he did the hard work to make the positive change for himself despite living with triggers on his body that remind him every day of what he's endured and he's broken the cycle of abuse with his own daughter. This is Ben's journey. Ben lives in Fannystell, outside of Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. He told me he was adopted at age 7. That's a late age for a child's adoption, which should signal to you that some things were very wrong in his first home. I grew up in a white pacifist Mennonite family, and from my birth to age five, I had an abusive upbringing for my sister and three other brothers. We were subjected to anger from the stepdad. So we got it all. We, I, I ended up in the hospital a couple of times because of it. Before you were even seven years old. Correct. This would have been before I was five. Oh my gosh. That is incredibly traumatic. And it wasn't just you. It was all of your siblings who were subjected to this level of abuse? Yes. We were all subjected to various degrees, from what I understand. For whatever reason, because I was the youngest, I don't know. I, I got the worst of it. My gosh, I'm sorry. I, I was removed from the family because of it. Really? And, and the only one, I may add. You were the only one removed from the family? Correct. Oh, my gosh. Is your sense that the abuse continued with your other siblings after your departure? Absolutely. I know it did. After I did my search, I talked to other blood brothers and... Yes, for sure. For sure it continued. My gosh. I'm sorry to hear that. That's a really, really rough start. Tell me a little bit about your biological mother before you left. Do you recall her being abused as well? Did she try to protect you kids? Tell me what you recall. To be honest, I really don't recall a whole lot. I, I remember trauma. I remember hiding in a closet when there were parties. There's very few things that I I remember in the big picture, but speaking with my blood brothers, it, it was very apparent that that she was not treated well at all. And so, you know, right or wrong, she was indigenous and the one who was inflicting all the pain on the family was not indigenous. Child and Family Services went to Ben's home and removed him. From age 5 to age 7, he was placed in foster care. His siblings left behind to suffer, his family left intact, for better or for worse. He said he lucked out as far as his foster parents go. Of course, I figured leaving an abusive home, almost any foster care setting would be better in a young child's eyes. But here's what he said about why it was better. When I was 
subjected to going to the hospital the second time, I was kicked or punched in my stomach so hard that I had a cyst growing there. So because of that, I ended up going to the hospital for 66 days. And it was after this, once I was released from the hospital, my foster parents were very critical in nursing me back to health. Oh, wow. That's amazing. You must have a special place in your heart for them. I do. I do. At 18, even when, you know, I was still angry and, you know, didn't understand things, I made a point to go back there and thank them. Wow, that's really awesome. Oh, that must have been so amazing for everybody. Yeah, they, you know, then, then they know, you know, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, because I'm sure they wondered. So, if, the, if a child comes to them that they have to nurse back to health because the biological family, well, not the biological family, the home unit was abusive, I'm sure they wondered about you for years until you returned. That's incredible that you did that. I'm sure they appreciated it. Well, I, I knew it was important for me. You know, it's, you know, they, they, they were a big part of my life back then. And, you know, had they not cared for me the way they did, you know, who knows how it may have turned out. Ben spent two years with his foster family being nursed back to health and presumably back to a mentally stable place to trust adults. He said he remembers the transition from foster care to his new home, a confusing time when he had no idea what was going on. He had met his parents a couple of times before the transition, but he was traumatized, confused, and didn't really understand what was going on in his life. For a seven-year-old who had been abused, hospitalized for two months, nursed back to health, then transitioned to yet another home, there was just no way to explain clearly to Ben what was going on in his life. He had no idea why those things were happening to him. In his family, Ben was the youngest child again. His parents were white. His new siblings, an older brother and sister, were biological to their parents. Ben said he's the lightest of his biological siblings, and since his adoptive mother is slightly darker, occasionally people would mistake him and his mother for being biological to one another. I asked how life was in his new family. It was difficult for me and I'm sure it was difficult for them in many ways, but it wasn't done on purpose. I was definitely dealing with abuse of past and whatnot, and, you know, I, I was a difficult child. I, I know I was a difficult child, but it wasn't something that, you know, I said, I'm just going to do this for the sake of being a difficult child. You were introduced to a violent home setting, so Probably all you knew was trauma and chaos, and and you've been uprooted from two homes at an early age, so it would be hard for you to just, in any way, easily settle into a third environment. In what ways were you a challenging child or troublesome? Well, I rebelled. I always didn't take direction very well. I, I was headstrong, I guess I would call it. At, at an early age, I, I, I learned that I had to take care of myself. I, I believed that no one would do it for me. So, yeah. you know, it, it's a terrible thing to, to learn as a, as a young kid, but that's what I felt and knew, and so I did it. I acted out. I, I rebelled. I, you know. Yeah, I had some of that with my own son. He came to live with us when he was nine years old and this had to be probably his fourth home of, you know, an international. And he had some of that same attitude implanted in his mind. Like I keep bouncing around. So obviously yeah. I need to take care of me. And he yeah. was very headstrong in that way. So I can somewhat relate to what you're saying from the angle of a parent observing a child who's been yeah. placed in multiple homes. Yeah, we, we, we definitely have our own thought process. Ben said he and his siblings got along well growing up, but his brother is eight years older than him and his sister is four years older. And today, the
They live far away, so all told, he doesn't feel particularly close to them these days. As a kid, Ben said he didn't have a ton of friends. He rode his bike alone and kind of stayed to himself. He taught himself to play hockey, which landed him on three different teams at one point, sometimes playing in extremely cold outdoor temperatures. Since Ben talked about himself as a challenging child, I wondered what he was like as a teenager. I realize now I was, I was just extremely angry. I, I'm going to read something just because I, I don't always express my thoughts very well, so I got a title here, Growing Up Angry. I knew at a very early age I was not okay with what happened. I didn't even know the details, but in my heart I knew it wasn't good. Very early I knew the only one who will take care of you is you. Take care of yourself at all costs. My self-destructive habits were forming. I was declaring war, but I didn't know with who. Wow, that's pretty powerful, declaring war. I have a saying that I'm on Facebook, and that kind of helps me cope with adoption issues. Mm-hmm. But can I read something for you here? Of course. It, it, it's something that I think is very important. Okay. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel stuck. It's okay to feel confused. It's okay to feel lonely. It's okay to feel hurt. It's okay to cry. It's okay to not be okay. Above all, be kind to yourself and refuse to let negative feelings trigger you into waging war on yourself. I like that. There's a lot of strong, powerful thoughts in there. Because one of the things that we definitely do, everyone, adoptees or otherwise, is sort of beat ourselves up for things that we think we should be better at. And some stuff is out of our control. And we get into comparing ourselves to others and we forget that we're not always going to be okay. And we beat ourselves up for not being okay too. So a lot of what you said in there, what you just read is incredibly important for people to recognize like you're not always going to be okay and sometimes it's all right to break down you know with hopefully a vision for building yourself back up too yeah but part of the reason i'm doing this is just to try and encourage people to get their story out that's good and Um, I'm, i'm glad to hear that you're supportive in that way i'm a big fan of your show but i have to take it in dosages uh, mm-hmm. For a while there, I was addicted to the stories, and and you know I I could relate to a lot of what was going on, but then I also had to stop myself and um, not do your show, not listen to your podcast, mm-hmm. because you know I was I was feeling the negative side of things. In what way were you feeling negative things, like comparing your story to other stories? No. I, I don't compare myself to others. What what amazes me about your podcast is the only thing that I really share with other adoptees is just being an adoptee. The stories I, I've listened to are just incredible. They're they're so different than mine. So by not comparing it's just you know, I've admitted to myself very early age that things bother me so when things bother me I try not to expose myself to it too much to get down or negative that maintaining that positivity is is amazing and I hear you you can get addicted to listening to the adoptee stories but it can be a bit much you know to ingest everybody else's emotions hearing the ups and downs of you know over a hundred people over and over, is uh, it can be tough. In his teenage years, Ben was angry. He was trying not to wage war against others, but that meant his unfocused anger was internalized. He coped by being a risk taker in many ways in his life, to use his words. Around 17 years old, he turned to alcohol. In Canada, Ben could legally buy alcohol at 18 years old, and that's when it became a big part of his life. He went to bars a lot and drank until they closed. Ben told me that back then he could not have identified that he was drinking to cope with adoption issues. 
He was just numbing pain. He said it was somewhat therapeutic to be at the bars in that, when he was there, at least he was conversing with friends. But it was a negative form of therapy. Ben graduated high school, but he didn't want to participate in the school's graduation ceremony. Instead of walking across the stage, he sat in the audience and watched his friends graduate. I wondered if it was some form of protest. Hard to say. I, I really don't know what exactly my thought process was at the time, but part of it could have been a feeling of um, not worthy. I'm not, I'm not big on celebrations at all. Never have been? No, just like, you know, many adoptees, you know, we feel misunderstood, we feel unworthy. Celebrations, you know, I put my best face on and I try and get through them. But even for other people, you're just kind of not interested? For other people, I'm fine. It's just when it comes to me and doing a celebration, you know, it's basically growing up, I didn't like surprises. I, didn't, I don't like good surprises. I don't like bad surprises. So the one thing that people don't know about me is I'm always thinking. I'm always running scenarios in, in the position that I'm in. I'm trying to figure out the worst case, and I'm trying to figure out the best case. And I'm trying to figure out how to navigate best in the situation that I'm put in. Interesting. Do you think that that is a result of your early childhood experience of going from trauma to calm, from home to foster or home to hospital, from foster to new family? Like, I could see how your mind would be molded into constantly thinking through what's the next possibility based on all of those early experiences. Do you think that's what the source is? I think... Once I realized some of the things I did when I was younger, I understood that the abuse was out of my control. So I think once I learned about that, I've been subconsciously and then also in real life trying to figure out everything that I can control in a good way. Like mm -hmm. I'm not a possessive person. So I'm trying, I'm trying to not be surprised. Yeah, it's sounds to me, I'm by no means clinical in training or anything, but it sounds to me like you're trying to control as much as you can in order to keep yourself comfortable with what the possibilities are, is how I would term it. Does that sound about right? Yeah. You oh, know, if I was in an uncomfortable situation, I would just simply remove myself. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. No, I wouldn't be... I saw no point in being confrontational, so I just removed myself. Many times I've removed myself from an argument. It it dawned on me when I was 50. I'm 52 now. It dawned on me from reading adoption books how many years I have people pleased. And it bothered me a lot. Ben got married at 27 years old. He started the search for his biological family at that time because, even though he doesn't like celebrations, he wanted someone like himself, related to him by blood, to be present. I asked what their wedding was like. It was strange. You know, it was a good wedding overall, I guess. But why it was strange is because it was really the first time that my biological mother, biological father and blood brothers and half-sister were all at the wedding. So it was, it was very, very weird. Weird in what way? I don't know who these people are. So, you know, it's almost like inviting a neighbor who you really don't know to your wedding. Yet you're biologically related to them. You couldn't be more close to anyone on the planet by biology, but you don't know them at all. So they're right. basically strangers. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it, it, was, it was just a weird environment to be taking all this in. I could see that. It's your wedding day. You're supposed to be focused on your bride. Everybody in the audience is focused on you and her, yet your mind is probably wandering quite a bit to the biological strangers in the audience who are there to observe and celebrate your 
your marital union. That's fascinating. Wow. Then was divorced by the time he was 32. It was after his divorce that he decided he was going to make the life-altering decision to change who he was. He decided he didn't want to be angry anymore. Then made the decision that he wanted to let go of his anger and be a happier person for himself. For two years after his divorce, he didn't get into another relationship. Ben was determined to learn from his many mistakes and the actions of others and how they affected him. Of course, I wanted to go back to Ben's search for his family that preceded the wedding to learn how he searched, how he was received, and what he learned about their lives after his extraction from their home. Ben said he was tipped off by a certain individual whose identity he protects so they won't be held responsible for the reunion. That person told him where to search for his family in Manitoba. Ben just wanted to go to the town with his now ex-wife and his mom, put an ad in the small local newspaper to start the search, and then just see how things turned out. Well, that's not how it happened. So, long story short, my mom got onto the phone, looked up uh, a name we knew in the phone book. There were only two names. So she phoned up the one and basically said who she was, and they wouldn't know her, but she's calling on behalf of me, Benson. And then right away, the response on the other end was, Benson, oh, how's he doing? And did she, she made this call in front of you? Yes, yeah, we're all there, yeah. So from, from there, it basically was, my mom was explained where I was in the biological order. And if we went down to the care home and asked questions, good chance we would find some answers. So we go, we go to the care home there, we ask questions, and turns out my biological father was in the care home. And that's the first time I met him. And how was that meeting? He had a stroke earlier. And when I met him, he was in a wheelchair. He was on the patio of the care home there by himself. So I went through the gate. And as soon as he saw me, tears welled up in his eyes. I didn't say anything. He knew. He knew who I was. Wow. What did you feel when you saw that emotion come out on his face? I couldn't feel the same emotion because... It, it just wasn't processing in my head. So I, I wasn't able to, to have feeling at that point. I, I'm still trying to figure out who's who, and my head's spinning at this point. You said you found out everything. So you, you got guidance to go to the care home. You met your biological father. He had a yeah. stroke, but did you talk with him? What did you learn from speaking with him or visiting with him? Well, because he had the stroke he said very short sentences and it was it was quite hard to understand what he was trying to say Mm -hmm. but you know like i said he he knew who i was he there's no doubt about that that's amazing that would make for a fulfilling challenging weird uncomfortable visit right because you can probably sense that he has things he wants to say because he's trying to say them and you can't necessarily understand them in their entirety, yet he knows what he wants to say in his mind and he's not able to express it. It must have been really tough for him. Yeah, I, I think it was tough for both of us. You know, I wanted the the opposite is for me. I wanted to tell him things and, and carry a conversation on and whatnot, but it, it was extremely difficult. Ben got his whole origin story over that first weekend. He called it information overload to the point of emotional exhaustion. He couldn't even function at work the following Monday. He was so overwhelmed with the experience the preceding weekend. But sitting atop the mountain of information he was processing were the phone numbers for his natural mother and siblings. So he spoke with a few of his brothers by phone. The family lived in Vancouver, so it was easier for Benson to go visit them than it was for all of them to go to Fanny's Dell to meet him. A few weeks after meeting his birth father in the care facility, 
Ben was on a plane to Vancouver to meet his birth mother and siblings. So I went out there and I didn't want to get off the aircraft once it landed. You don't know what to expect. You're, you're anxious, nervous, scared. All the emotions are running through, through your head. And, you know, I, I was the last one off that plane. <laughs> that I know. I, I didn't want to deal with the reality of it, I guess. All of a sudden it's here. And I didn't want to deal with it, is how I would explain it. Ben's whole family was at the gate to greet him. His blood brother, a half-sister, and his birth mother. I asked him how it was to see all of those family members from years gone by. It's just overall weird. You know, you, you know the same blood run, runs through them as you, but again, these are, these are complete strangers. And... They've all been together your whole life away from them. You're the only one, as you've said, who was taken away. Correct, yeah. So, you know, that, that's one of, the, one of the things I've discussed with my blood brothers. And, you know, the way I see it, as soon as all the abuse happened to all of us, we all lost. We lost one way or another. So I ended up going into a different family, yet... In some ways, my brothers are angry at me in an indirect way because they feel I got the golden ticket as soon as I was adopted out into a good foundation family. Wow. Which I thought, which I thought was highly unfair. Yeah, the expression, the grass is greener, comes to mind for me. That your brother's feeling like you got the golden ticket because you were removed from this abusive home is their perspective yet I, my sense is your perspective is you all got to stay together as family and i was for lack of better words outcasted you may have been others might see it as a rescue a removal a necessary protective measure but it's interesting to see how each of you views the other's position yeah I describe it as this. When stuff was hitting the fan, they had the option to bond or fix the problem amongst themselves. There were four blood brothers and a half-sister when I was still in the family. Now, they had each other if they wanted to. They had that option. As soon as I was removed, my options were very limited. Part of the struggle for me was trying to meet or have people understand me. I'm a person who's put into a family, but, you know, I have interests, I have opinions, I have everything. But when you're put into a family, those things come second. That's the reality of it. And why it comes second partly is because the adoptee is, trying to fit into the family. Mm. So we have to learn how to adapt and do things as the family expects us to. So that goes back to my point about people-pleasing. I've put a lot of my opinions and thoughts and interests and whatnot aside to keep the peace. So what was your discussion like with your biological mother when you left the airport I assume they took you back to their house. What was your discussion like with her? Terrible. And I say terrible because, you know, she's passed on now. In total, I probably had maybe four conversations with her. No more than the weather type conversations. Never asked how I did. Never asked, you know, what happened. Very cold. I found it very cold. Really? She didn't ask at all how how it went? No, no. I have a thing written down here. Can Can I read it about her? Of course, go ahead. So, this is about my birth mother. Right or wrong, I I can't help but feel resentment towards her. I understand she was treated very poorly by different people. I say we all were. Difference is, us kids were not an adult. I told my wife this countless times. No one, no one will ever be able to tell me 
how a mother gives up her protective fighting instinct for her child. It's something I will never understand. I did not have a good reunion or relationship with her once I did my search for my biological family. We never had a meaningful conversation. I've had maybe five talks with her in my life. The weather is nice today kind of thing. Didn't ask me what happened when I was removed for my own well-being. How my adopted, how my adoptive parents treated me, nothing. I was gone for 24 years, almost a quarter of a century, nothing. Out of respect to her, I never pressed the issue. I felt meeting her was a very cold experience. It was like some people were seeing a ghost, a ghost from the past. Wow. That's really tough because I hear you. Your parental instinct is to protect your child and for her to not have expressed an apology for how things went or to have even asked how you were in the aftermath that's pretty alienating yeah i could see how it would be very cold yeah it's like being abandoned again ben said he never expected a rosy homecoming but he definitely expected more than what he received from his birth mother he told me that he interacted with his eldest brother for a while but when he's happy the guy is great to be around but when he's not, Ben felt used, repeatedly. Ben helped the guy with shelter, a deal on a car, none of which was repaid nor appreciated. Ben let their relationship go because the man hasn't come to grips with what transpired in their life when they were kids. He's stuck in the past, unable to move forward. However, Ben does maintain a relationship with one of his older brothers. It, for the most part, it's good. I describe it as being a juggling act. I'm, I'm kind of always walking on eggshells as far as how I'm dealing with people, whether it's the biological side or whether it's, whether it's my family. Turning to Ben's adoptive family, his adopted mother was part of the team that went to Lactabani, Manitoba, the small town where Ben just wanted to place the ad in the paper. He told her on a whim that he wanted to make the trip, and she jumped in the car with him. When I asked how he shared the rest of his journey to meet his natural mother and siblings with his adoptive mother, Ben said he filled his adoptive family in a little bit along the way, but not fully. They were interested to learn how things were going, but he only clued them in as much as he could, as his own mind was still spinning, processing everything. Ben gave credit to his parents for their openness about his adoption when he was a kid. However, we agreed it would have been hard for them to try to be dishonest about him being adopted at seven years old. He would have known that he was living in his third home with new parents. Still, Ben said, had they tried to be deceptive, he would have developed major trust issues. Recall that Ben found his former foster parents. Since we were on the topic of multiple sets of parents, I wondered how Ben found the foster parents that he once lived with and how that reunion unfolded. Again, last-minute decision, I went out with a buddy at the time. We, we drove out to Steinbeck, and I'm not sure how we figured out where they lived, but we did. Must ask somebody. And, uh, yeah, they hugged, and they were happy to see me, and it was very important for me to say thank you. I bet. That must have been amazing. That, and I remember the house seemed huge at the time, but it wasn't a big house. So when when I was there, though, I told you that, you know, they were fantastic. But during my time in foster care there, I was actually taken advantage of sexually. Really? By whom? By another foster child. Did you ever reveal that to the foster family? No. They still don't know to this day? I'm assuming they're past by now, but nope, they never knew. Is that anything that you've admitted anywhere in therapy or other to a friend, maybe at the bar late at night? Or did you suppress that? I've, I've suppressed it for a long, long time. I was very angry about it. Maybe that's partly why I was also extremely angry. But... You know, I 
once I did my my self evaluation and and started look trying to look at things more positively, I I tried to come to terms with that as best I could. It, it was out of my control. I didn't ask for it, and you know, I I use the word taken advantage of, you know, because that's that's what happened. Right. You're a young kid. You're vulnerable. You're healing from hospital stay. You're transitioned from your own home to a new home. You got no trust in the world. And anybody who would do anything to a child in that position is absolutely taking advantage of them. You're correct. Wow. That's how I viewed it. It wasn't right. And I didn't, you know, you, you don't understand what's going on, at, you know, that that age. But later on, you kind of put the pieces together and kind of figured out. Well, I'm sorry that that happened to you, oh. but I'm glad that you've reached the point of sort of accepting that it wasn't your fault and moving on, not holding it in anger in your heart. Yeah. For, you know, for the longest time, I don't know, age seven to 32, that was a hard, hard period for me because I was acting out and I hadn't decided yet I need to do more positive things with my life. Every time Ben said that he had made a conscious decision to be more positive with his life, I was so inspired by his strength to confront his past and make moves to put it behind him. I also found myself marveling at how rough his early years were, thankful that he was in good health and alive to tell his story. Benson survived a brutal beating that put him in the hospital as a child. He endured sexual abuse by a foster child in his second home and lived with anger that consumed him in his teen years. When I thought I heard it all from Ben, he revealed he has frostbitten hands. I'm quite lucky, I think, to have functioning fingers and whatnot, but growing up, I looked different and people asked. So I would have to say oh, I frostbit my hands or whatever. So all these times I would be triggered, you know, what actually happened. I didn't frostbite my hands. I was left outside by my stepdad as a punishment in cold weather. Oh, my gosh. That is crazy. Do you recall what you did or were accused of that got you that punishment? No. No, I, I'd have no idea. I've talked to my biological brother there, and he remembers that day. But no, I, I, I would have no idea. We got punished for anything. Anytime the stepdad was angry, yeah. We, Didn't matter. Need to release his anger. It. It's coming out on you. Doesn't matter what it was. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. So, so, so I'm going to send you a picture of, you know, my hands growing up. It, it took me a super long time to accept my hands for the way they were. And I had to learn to appreciate my hands. It could have been a lot worse. Mm-hmm. I, could have, I could have lost my fingers. Yeah, that's so, true. So, so when I'm angry, when I was in my angry periods and, and whatever growing up, you know, these are things that... I was still angry about and couldn't realize. Yet, as I grew up in some way and figured things out, I realized, you know what? You you are actually quite lucky that you do have the fingers that you do. Because mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine life without them. Right. You wouldn't have the have had the career as an airplane engine mechanic or any of the other things that you've been able to accomplish. You certainly wouldn't have been able to hold a hockey stick and play sponge hockey. I mean, there's a lot of things that your hands yeah. enable. You're right. You're you're fortunate, but and I'm glad that you've gotten over the anger of what happened to accept that you are fortunate to have survived it and come out on the other side. I think you're right. So the so the one one picture was going to be of my of my frostbitten hands, fingers, and and so they're you know they're slightly maybe fatter or, or whatever, but but it's stunted the growth. So I don't have as long fingers as I should. Maybe 
half an inch to an inch shorter, three quarters of an inch, I don't know, whatever. So so that was one picture I was going to show you. And then another, and why I wanted to show you pictures is, is to, to validate or so you know, okay, this guy just isn't talking about whatever and, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it's kind of proof, proof to you. But my second picture would have been of my stomach and it's all scarred up and whatnot from the, from the cyst that I got and staying in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So what my, what, what my point with all of this is this, how I'm different from other adoptees is other adoptees I can relate with, we suffer whatever thoughts internally. I had physical also. So I had triggers almost every day, whether it was my stomach or whether it was my fingers. I couldn't hide that. I had to address it on the spot or, you know, however uncomfortable or comfortable I could. So I I was telling you, you know, before how all our stories are different. Well, that's how I feel my story is different from other adoptees. I have the physical appearance of it, and some would be able to relate to me also. Yeah, you're right. You have a unique set of circumstances that you have to wrap your mind around daily. You know, you get undressed to get in the shower, and it's there. You reach out to shake someone's, and it's there, right? And you know it's there. You're looking, you can see your frostbitten hands, and if you just you know, go to the coffee stand to get a a cup of joe and you reach out for your coffee, you know that someone else can see your hands. And so it's probably ever present for you. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And same same thing with my stomach, you know, taking swimming lessons, you know, oh, what happened to your stomach? If if I didn't want to answer the question, I would just tell people I got stabbed. I just, I'd say anything. Like, who are you? Why am I going to tell you? Ben has come a long way, and he told me he's in a positive place to move forward with his life. He diligently set about making positive changes. He's gotten remarried to someone who understands him, and he's broken the cycle of his own lived experience when raising his daughter. I married someone who understands me for who I am, which when I was Remember I told you for two years I, I didn't go out with anyone or, or whatnot? Yeah. So my mom and dad would ask me, you know, what do you want for Christmas or what do you want for birthday? Well, you can ask them. I would always tell them I, I want an understanding woman, and I got one. So I'm good, you know. In, in many ways in my life, you know, I'm much more content. I know I'm happier. I know I'm a more productive person than, you know, the the negative one and whatnot. So I think I've made choices that were better for me and are better for people that interact with me. Damn, that's awesome. I got a huge smile on my face, dude. It's amazing. So one thing I I wanted to add is I told you, you know, I'm I'm not happy about the abusive past and I, I don't know too many people who would be, but that was something I could not control. So what I could control is how I raise my child. So I, I just want to read something real quick. I didn't like the abusive past myself and others were exposed to. I couldn't control that. What I couldn't control is how I raised my child. I was very determined to end that vicious, abusive cycle. I've done that. My daughter is 13 years old now and has never seen any of the horrors of what I was raised in. That's that's amazing. And so it must be fulfilling for you to know that you've made yourself into the parent that you wish you had and eliminated the threats and trauma that were inflicted upon you. Yes. You know, that point about giving up your protective fighting instinct for your child, I, I know that burns very much inside me so i don't understand how things can break down so much one loses that i understand there's factors and i know people are in certain uh, 
certain situations and whatnot, but you know, it, it's not like it's a the only time it's ever happened in the world. Right. There are strong people that that decide, you know what, I've had enough of this life. I'm going to do things productive for not only myself, but for my kids. Mm-hmm. And and the kids can't do that. The adult has to do that. So I will never understand that. That the the loss of the the protectiveness of a child. I'm fierce mm-hmm. protective. I'm so glad that you found a path to having a healthy, productive family, given the trauma and adversity that your early life was founded on. I mean, you've hoped for, you know, the understanding wife who loves you and accepts you for who you are, and you've gotten that. You guys have created a daughter out of love that you've cherished and have protected and not exposed to any of the same kinds of things that you were exposed to as a kid. And that takes a lot of self-awareness, inner strength, and a lot of dedication. And it's just really impressive to hear, Benson. It doesn't sound right, but I applaud you for how far you've come and, and what you've accomplished with your life. It's really amazing. All I want to say for that is, is, like I said earlier, you know, I had to learn my lessons the hard way. And, but, you know, but once once I made that choice of, you know, look, I, I, I don't like all the negative stuff. I'm going to try and be more positive. That was a huge moment in my life. And so why I do, why I share my story is I try and encourage others, and especially males out there, because, you know, we're not supposed to talk about our feelings and whatnot. Share your story. You know, it's important. It's important to to get it out. And, and I, I tell my wife this cause you know, she, she's had, had some struggles in, in her life, but I tell her all the time, tell your story. The first couple of times that you tell it, it will hurt. But once you tell it a hundredth time or a thousand thousandth time, it won't hurt nearly as much. Yeah. That's good advice. And, and I'm living proof of that. Ben said earlier he wrote a few things down that he wanted to say to make sure he expressed himself clearly. He shared one more piece of his writing before we closed. It's a note to my parents. To mom and dad. Mom, quit worrying about what I'll say. Ha ha ha. I've told many people that you are my parents. I do not say this to people lightly. You have opened your home to a seven-year-old indigenous little boy who needed help. You didn't have to. Not my problem, some may say, but you cared and welcomed me. I will never forget that day being dropped off at 296 Niagara Street, me holding whatever possessions I had, that front door of the house closing with me inside the house, my back against the door looking at where I will be living now. I have a new family. Mom and dad, a sister, a brother, and a dog named Scruffy. Very scary, but also very exciting. I know I presented a lot of challenges for both of you growing up, as kids at this age usually do. I was lashing out at those that cared for me, a coping mechanism us adoptees do. It was only later that I knew what I was doing. During all of this, You never gave up on me. Very important to a child who has felt abandonment. Mom showed her protective side for me multiple times. Dad showed his protective side, but in a different way. You have helped Pam and I in so many ways. Thank you for everything you have done for us and continue to do. For you who are my parents, a title that you have earned. I love that. That was really cool. All right, Ben, this has been amazing. I'm so glad to hear about your growth out of adversity. It's a testament to what can be accomplished by people when they sort of, you know, dig deep within themselves to try to find what makes them special in order to, to keep moving forward. And I think that's really great. So thank you so much for sharing, opening up, being vulnerable 
telling every piece of your story, I think is, is really awesome. So thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you for uh, doing your podcast. It's important. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All the best to you. You take care. Okay. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, it's me. Ben was abused in his family home and removed for his own safety. But that created a situation where the grass was greener for everyone involved. Ben wished he could have had the unity of family surviving together, even through adversity. His siblings wished they could have been removed from their father's tyrannical abuse. I was disappointed to hear that his father was unable to communicate clearly because, just like Ben, I wanted to hear what his dad had to say for himself through the tears after all those years. Ben said he shares his story because he wants to empower other adoptees, especially male adoptees, to come out with our stories too. Right at the end of our interview, Ben dropped one more story of an amazing coincidence at work. Hey, can I add one more thing? I, w- I want to tell you something that's going to shock you, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, so... I'm working in in this aerospace place, right? There's over a thousand people in there, probably more like fourteen hundred people, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm working on the engine. I get a new person thrown into our area, and is supposed to job shadow. So I'm supposed to teach them what's going on, right? Well, guess who that person was? Tell me. That person was the nephew of the stepdad that inflicted all of the abuse to us kids. Are you serious? That's crazy. Wow. I told you, I, I was talking. That's unreal. How was it to work with him then? Uh, it must have been weird, huh? He, no, I, he, he didn't know anything that happened. His parents never told him. It was only later that when I did share with him, he was really mad. It was pretty pretty bizarre yeah that's that's a really bizarre for sure yeah of yeah. all the people that is shadowing you to learn how to do your job is a guy that's related to the guy that created chaos from this foundation of your life unreal i'm damon davis and i hope you'll find something in ben's story that inspires you validates your feelings about wanting to search or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn who am i Really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can follow the show at facebook.com slash WAIReally or follow on Twitter at WAIReally. If the show is meaningful to you, you can support me with a contribution to keep it going on patreon.com slash WAIReally. Please subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean so much to me if you took a moment to leave a five-star rating there. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too. And if you're interested, you can check out the story of my adoption journey, Who Am I Really, an adoptee memoir on Amazon.com, on Kindle, or as an audiobook on Audible. I hope you'll add my story to your reading list.